Welcome to the Sajcast. I'm Mark Austin. And I'm Stacy Roberts. And we, we are, are the Sons, Sons of Joy. And this week we have with us a special co-host, the first ever in Sajcast history, Charles Joy. Charles, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello there. Hi. So you are not only listening to the Sajcast, Charles, you are on the Sajcast. And this is our 13th ever Sajcast and our first with a co-host. Well, a co-co. Co-co-host. <laughs> oh, are you still here? Coco. Coco. Who yeah. you call him Coco? <laughs> but, you know, bringing in an additional host of the show clearly doesn't mean that we're just going to go down some kind of rabbit trail and <laughs> focus on a couple of syllables until the tape runs out. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. So this week's uh, Sajcast, number 13, is sponsored by Superheroes, the makers of Saving the City at the Last Possible Minute, disguises that really aren't fooling anyone. And sidekicks. I think it's it's good to go back a little bit, because we haven't said nearly enough about our co-co-host. We should be clear to the listeners that this is not, by any means, due to the fact that when we asked for comments on last week's Sajcast, you were the first one to step up and leave us some comments. Yes, we don't want to scare people into not leaving comments for fear that they'll have to co-host. <laughs> well, it was optional. I mean, did we send the standard threat letter that you must co-co-host our Sajcast or bad things will happen to your cat? No, it's, it's all optional. So Charles's cat can handle itself. Yeah. <laughs> I think your cat is a superhero. What radioactive spider bit that thing? But we digress. So please, listeners, leave comments. You never know what will happen. And in key, you know, one of our Sajcasts is going to have to be sponsored by Instant Karma because we talk about your mother and then she sure arrives. Is. And Charles um, innocently listened to our Sajcast and did what we asked to do. And now he's been roped into this um, collaborative uh, event. Yeah, so in many ways... Charles is one of the, the longtime fans of the Sajcast, but in a more philosophical way, he is kind of our predecessor because it was his Saj, or his podcast that inspired us to get into the podcasting business. And so, Charles, why don't you talk about Stacks of Comics a little bit and uh, let, let people know what it's all about. So Stacks of Comics is basically a podcast where I, most recently, m- myself, have only been uh, – I usually have a co-host, but he recently moved, so it's been kind of rough getting him on in the same place at the same time, or at least the same recording at the same time. But uh, we talk about comics, and we have different sections. And when we started out, it was – I was very regimented. I'm going to do a – a topic like we're going to talk about the Avengers. Then I'm going to do an out of five section where I do reviews for you know five or six, ten comics. And then we're going to talk about current events, uh, comic pulse is what I call it. And then we're going to do tweeters if anyone tweeted in. So very regimented. And we did that for a couple episodes when Andrew was on there. And I don't mind that kind of thing. But more recently, when he's not been available. I've been recording events and cons and things like that. So the last three episodes of Stacks of Comics have been me at some sort of event or interviewing someone based on an event. So in this next, the next three podcasts, which I'm going to do point episodes, 16.1, 16.2, and 16.3, reminiscent of the Marvel Point One initiative, I will be at Austin Convention, uh, Austin Comic Con, which is this coming weekend, and every day of the event, I will be recording a new podcast, and on 16.2, Andrew will be back. So oh. we'll be live from the con, Austin Con style. He deserves more than a point, doesn't he? Well, <laughs> yes. have you don't have to answer that. <laughs> Let's not have it go to his head. So uh, in pre-production, which is a, a pretty big event here, um, 
one of these days we'll sell tickets to pre-production so people can see what, what goes on. But um, we were listening to Stacks of Comics episode 15, which was kind of a, a, a special uh, and a charitable event. <laughs> In fact, it was. It was the uh, Women of Wonder Day it happened this past Sunday. And uh, it was... It happens in two or sort of three if you scroll all the way down at the, the website that looks like it was made in the 90s. No, I mean, they're saving funding on that. So, sure. um, uh, so there one happened in Portland, Oregon on the same day as it happened here in San Antonio. I just happened to lock out that my local comic shop was one throwing one of the big events. For us, it was for uh, Family Domestic Violence Prevention Services, and I'm, I'm sure I butchered that name, but we can reference the, the podcast as I got it right there. It was there to raise money, um, so one of their buyers, the Heroes of Fantasy's buyers, goes out to cons and talks to artists and gets them to uh, basically volunteer their time or a sketch or something that will go up for auction at this event. So if you saw the pictures, there was a wall, like 20 feet or 30, well, probably 50 feet of wall covered in art. Each of them, it was a silent auction. The biddings could start as low as $5 or some of them because they took online, pre-online stuff, uh, bids from eBay and whatnot. They, some of them started at $400. So it, it ranged right at the beginning as you, uh, when I was interviewing the director there, she said that they were nearly at their goal before they even started the day. So that was really good. I haven't heard back of the specific numbers, but I will report on that at, via tweet or something like that once I find out. Because it was going to be a huge success, and I was able to contribute because they actually had a piece of art. I shouldn't say actually. They had a piece <laughs> of art that I really wanted. It happened to be uh, Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel as Texas Ranger. I was happy to win that. and So I, I really enjoyed that day. I had great interviews and um, switched up my, my format a little bit, my con format, and... But it was really a fun event, and I, I I can't wait. I hope they do more there because I think it proved to them that they can raise a lot of awareness for that specific you know charity, but maybe other charities and other like mini cons is basically what it was. Okay. Yeah. So so it's funny that you you talked about the uh, the Miss Marvel artwork because when we were listening to the interview before before the uh, the show started in pre prod, Stacy said because you were talking about how Miss Marvel used to be Captain Marvel, and Stacy's like, so he was Shazam. <laughs> And he had a sex change operation. What 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 happened there? <laughs> oh, the 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 confusion that 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 has raised. But to not confuse things anymore, DC came out with a character called Captain Marvel. And was it that was a, a dig at Marvel? Because no, it was a pretty I, popular character. So why would you name it after your competition? I mean, it's not. But <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know that I I should know the history a little bit better. But I don't know it a hundred percent. But I don't know that. Either company existed as they were it back then. Oh, that's true. Um, that was right. a really old comic back right. then. Really yeah. old. So it just happened to be that, and they and it was about a kid, a teenager. I don't know his name. Leo would know it off the top of his head. Billy. That I think. when he said Shazam, because a magician or a wizard or something gave him powers that magically would turn into Captain Marvel and be able to be a superhero. So time goes by. Marvel creates its own Captain Marvel, which was in the 80s or something like that. Yeah. 70s or whatever. And that character lived quite a long time with quite a lot of history then, but was eventually killed off from continuity and everything by cancer, which I don't know if it was a public service announcement or not, but <laughs> he died of cancer because earlier on in his life, he was exposed to high levels of radiation when trying to rid the world of some uh, character named Nitro. 
And that's all in, if you want to read all about that, uh, it's collected in one book, um, The Life and Death of Captain Marvel. Uh, and The Death of Captain Marvel was Marvel's first uh, graphic novel or trade paperback type thing back when before they were releasing collections. So. Mm. Interesting. And it's funny too, because when we, when we do pre-production, which I'm, I'm still liking my selling tickets idea, but, um, you know, we sit around and ask these questions and then we go, Oh, I don't know the answer to that. And then one of us has to say, if only there was a globally connected network of computers designed <laughs> to serve up information, because it's worth pointing out to the listeners that all three of us are in the IT business. Yes. And the thing that we forget most when we're doing our non professional things like this is we forget that these tools are out there and we're like, Oh, we could just go download that or look that up. And, and it's, um, it was quite a while. We, we kind of kicked around what we thought the answer was. We were like, why don't we just look this thing up? Indeed. That's a very good point. And, and to keep that story alive, uh, Marvel then had rights to the character name, but he was dead. So they almost lost it. So they had to every once in a while, bring the character back. So Captain Marvel has looked and been different throughout the years. And then it, there was a mini couple of issues of a mini series where uh, Captain Marvel came back as a black woman with an afro for two issues, wow. and then he uh, she, he came back um, properly a little bit after that, especially for some of the events like Secret Invasion and stuff like that for Marvel in recent history. Then he died again, but then all of a sudden Carol Danvers, who is Miss Marvel, was intermixed into that whole AVX thing with Captain Marvel, and she then took up the mantle of Captain Marvel as he died again. But you just have to live with the fact that she is Captain Marvel, which I enjoy. Um, I don't, I can't say she's my favorite Captain Marvel, but she's the current one, and I love the writer who's writing it, and uh, both of the artists that have been on the book are phenomenal. So, and and that's is that's Kelly Sue, right? Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, wife to Matt Fraction. Uh, Matt Fraction is very famous writer for Marvel as well, so they're both powerhouse Marvel writers. She's also taken up the book Avengers Assemble, and that was the most recent arc that Thanos was in, which they're calling the un- quote unquote unofficial movie book. So there's all it's all intertwined. It, it certainly is. <laughs> and so I guess it's worth mentioning to some of our listeners who won't know any better that you've mentioned the character Thanos a couple times, or Thanos. And yes, Thanos. Thanos. The only the only place most people will have had any um, encounter with them would be the end of Avengers. Yes, that that would be their their primary encounter with him. But uh, uh, but your Twitter handle is at Thanos Rules, and you've had that well before he showed up there. Uh, hence the title we gave you as the Prophet of Purple, because you you thought Thanos was a, an interesting character long before uh, he showed up in the movie. Yeah, in fact, I I drew a sketch of him today, posted it, and one of my high school friends. He posted a comment on Facebook and said, I always remember you being a Thanos uh, fan. Really? That's yeah. I would. So I'm glad that validated it. Whether he was making it up or not, I have no <laughs> idea. But um, I was a Thanos fan. Um, and now, and I really wish I had the, you know, coup de gras artifact that I made back then, which happened to be some oh, dot matrix printout of word art that said Thanos rules. Um <laughs> And since I couldn't find that, and I, li- I literally spent probably six hours searching through bo- bins and bins of papers and old things to look and find it because it was important. I was going to frame it and put it on my wall. I've got a whole room of, of green bar in here I've got to go through. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so since I couldn't find it, I decided to make 
the tribute to it and make my online handle Thanos rules. Everything I do online, all the things I have, Facebook is facebook.com Thanos rules, Twitter is Thanos rules, and everything except Xbox Live is Thanos rules, <laughs> which I wouldn't have got anyway. I'm glad I, I mean, I can't beat myself about it too much because that was taken before I had taken up the mantle of Thanos rules. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, I'm this close to guessing your online passwords for almost everything at this point. <laughs> um, it's, it's not going to be a big secret. Um, but let me, let me speak for the novices, even though there are, I guess, fewer comic book amateurs in the world since the Avengers movie and, and some of the others. But, um, why don't you tell us who Thanos is and what your affinity is for a purple dude with galaxy spanning powers? <laughs> if that so- doesn't answer the question. <laughs> You've answered the question. In fact, I would I would have turned it around on you and said, what do you know about Thanos? But I won't do that. I will be first to admit, when I was collecting comic books way back then, I was collecting comic books. I did not read one comic book save Infinity Gauntlet, which has Thanos in it. So there was very little of knowledge of any canon in comic book history when I was a teenager. Fast forward 15 years, and the, the origin story for me getting back into comics is intermingled with this this team we have here uh, of sorts, um, and we won't get into that. But but I chose Thanos because of my affinity for it back then, and the now I've been trying to catch up as fast as possible to the, all the canon that I've missed out of either before I was born <laughs> or <laughs> while I was living uh, as a teenager and during the time that I missed the 15 years that I missed when I stopped collecting. So. I'm not an authority on Thanos. I do know that I, I like him for what I've seen him in, but I, I do not know him cover to cover. With that, a uh, very long and winded uh, introduction and uh, CYA, I submit to you that he is the son of Titan. He was born to brother Io- Eros, or I always forget, uh, father was mentor, mentor, I think. Yep. I'm butchering this horribly. And um, he was just evil. Like those, the father and brother were good. They're normal, powerful beings and for good. And he was bad. He was reborn in the Silver Surfer volume, uh, Rebirth of Thanos. I think the the collection is. He's been in and out of canon, but he's a nihilist, and he just wants to be dead because he's obsessed with death. And in the Marvel universe, you may or may not know that death is an actual character that controls. The world of the dead. And it's not Mephisto, who's the devil. It is death. Thanos is in love with death. He tries to appease her by killing the universe or half the universe. She's still very aloof. Um, and that's what most of the stories are about, him trying to impress her. So let's, so let's, let's you re- just can't please someone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's review. Because the question was, what's your affinity for Thanos? <laughs> so we've got evil. We've got trying to impress women who just Really won't give you the time of day, no matter what you do, uh, and the color purple. So I must have been an impressionable, impressionable teenager because the, all those things probably fit back then. So uh, maybe not purple, but everything else. But <laughs> I, I really don't. I think it was the power and the it was just came along in a time of my collection life that the covers were amazing. Like if you look at the covers for Infinity Gauntlet, at least three of them are worth hanging up on a any comic collector's wall because they're just, I mean, they're just, just so powerful. And that's my opinion, obviously, but 
I don't know it. And I, I liked him without even knowing his story. So I can't say that he's, that he was evil. And a lot of times he's an anti-hero because in Marvel Universe, the end, some other bad guy was trying to kill the universe. He ended up getting all the power. He destroyed the universe and had to set it back. And then he was, you know, put in, put himself in limbo or was put in limbo. It's been a while since I read that story, but he's kind of a, a stressed and I mean, I could find affinity with him and his character now. I mean, not the need for death or anything like that, but or evil for that matter. But the struggle and the the torment sometimes of trying to do something and and, and running up against obstacles and using lots of tools like cosmic cubes and infinity gauntlets to to try to solve these big problems. <laughs> well, and he is a guy who is who's who shares your determination for for solving a problem. That's true. <laughs> Very true. The, the relentlessness. Yes, the relentlessness. Yeah, you, as we've often said, um, you know, stick to itiveness is our superpower. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And he, he, I also like about him that he's always like 10 steps ahead in the book. Like you, you don't know what he's got planned, but in the end, it's going to be probably he's going to come out on top. So, I mean, those are good characteristics to have. So. Okay, so while we're, I guess, since we, we've kind of uh, sidetracked from our intro of uh, superheroes <laughs> into some supervillains, why don't we just jump right into the questions that we've got for you uh, while we're in this section? Oh, and, and let me preface this by saying that, that of the three of us, I'm the novice when it comes to comic book lore. Um, you know, Thanos, from my perspective, is the guy who said, stick around after the credits on the Avengers film. And so I did. But these are some questions that, I, that, that we came up with. For our first ever interview and co co-host. So number one, and you've you've alluded to this, but we'll we'll ask the question straight out. And I will say that part of part of the answer is referenced in an earlier Sajcast, and as is my um, pathology. I won't tell you which one because you have to listen to all of them. But uh, every superhero has an origin myth. To throw some examples out, you know, the spider biting Spider-Man. Um, the death of, of Batman's parents. The, you know, there's an origin myth for every superhero. And so if we consider you to be the hero of stacks of comics, uh, tell us your origin myth. How'd you get from whatever it was you were doing in your, in your secret identity to the powerhouse of stacks of comics? Yeah, and actually podcasting about it. Right. I mean, you're, you went from, as I understand it, um, having been lapsed, as it were, in the, in the faith of comic books, to all of a sudden becoming a, a, a collector, an expert, expert enough to review comic books, and an authority in the field, really, to the point where now your voice is listened to by those who who want to know not just more, but good information about comics. So tell us how that came about. So you just want to know how my clout got to 64? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> We're not jealous. <laughs> I'm sure by the time we go to air, it'll be even higher. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We're but, hoping to. We're hoping for coattails here. <laughs> so it's a very good question. And when you in pre-production, uh, in the part of pre-production that I was a part of, you did allude to the, what questions you've been asking me, and one popped into my head. And my, how did I go from zero, essentially not even knowing that comics came out on a weekly basis, which is almost negative, <laughs> you know, ten to occupying and spending lots of money on comics every week and writing reviews and talking about it and, and people asking me, you know, or I, the, the biggest compliment I had today, and I'm digressing a little bit, was one of the people in one of the Facebook groups I'm a part of said, I'm going to go pick up Ghost Number 1 based on your recommendation. So I got a lot online there because I love 
the the comic book Ghost, also written by Kelly Sudeikis and drawn by or illustrated by Phil Noto. Um, but someone's going to go spend their money because of me now. That that's I guess that's influence. So uh, how did that happen? So the simple answer is like Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark, lots and lots of money. So if, if I was, if I had any other job or any other circumstance, like lots of debt or anything like that, I couldn't have immersed myself in the industry like I have. And I haven't bought my way to any position. You know, I haven't paid someone to say, I want to work for your company and write reviews for you. I've done everything on my own. So it's money and time I've invested in it. I mean, yes, I've spent many, many dollars on statues and the giant silver surfer that I may or may not be known for. But in order to do the amount of reviews that I've done, and I've done them on my own without any, what I recently found out about, press copies of these books that are free and come out before the books come out. I've purchased every book that I've read and reviewed in print and held it in my hand while I read it and put it down reviewed it, then bag and boarded, put in a box somewhere, and there it sits. Lots and lots of money got me from two years ago being not even knowing it existed and uh, and today. But on top wasn't, of- wasn't there a period between, because you, you collected to the point where you had stacks, right, before you actually started Stacks of Comics? Oh, absolutely. And I, that, that's sort of how, it ha- how I was able to do it. Um, but because I was buying so much, that's the the origin story of Stacks of Comics itself was I didn't know I was learning as I went and you know solving problems as I went with my stick to power <laughs> and um one I I was asked because I was doing reviews on Comic Vine for a long time and then someone saw my stuff on Comic Vine and said hey would you like to write for us um, real comic guys it was a Tumblr site and they gave me access and all that. One day I was writing for them and they posted an internal memo saying, these guys over here have a podcast, would you like to be on it? And it happened to be the panel pals, Leo and uh, Michael. So that day I went and downloaded all 10 of their podcasts and listened to them back to back. And um, it was their early podcast, so it was uh, some of it was trying. And I'll be open with that. But well, don't worry, ours are a little trying too. The <laughs> earlier, the earlier episodes before we got our synchronization down. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a, an affliction of all early podcasting. But you know, we post them. There they are. Go listen yep. to them. So, I, I listened to them, and uh, then I was a guest on their show, much like the instant karma that has to, happened here. Um, because all podcasts are looking for feedback, and all podcasts want to be valid, feel validated that some, at least one person is listening. <laughs> Otherwise, what's it all for? So we did a couple podcasts together. And in fact, they found some other podcasts that, that happened to have a similar name, which is the Pals Podcast as opposed to the Panel Pals Podcast. And we all sort of did a thing together. And it turned into both of them were saying, you should do a podcast. You sound like Kevin Smith, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so they appealed to my need to sound like Kevin Smith and uh, I said, okay, I'm going to go about and do this. So I went about and did this. But I was like, I can't start this. And this is how I am for work and life and everything. I don't know what to call this stupid thing. <laughs> Here I am sitting like um, Uncle Scrooge in my office with statues. And, and I had just bought a whole bunch of stuff 
comics to backfill my collection that I've missed for 15 years. And I mean, I literally have tables and stacks and stacks and stacks of books and everything all over the place. I'm sitting, I remember sitting back being frustrated because I, I want to call this, I was going to call it Comic Pulse. That was the first name it was going to be called. But I just sat back and I was like, God, I got a lot of stacks of comics here. I was like, I'm going to look that up and see if the URL is available. See if the, I wasn't even really on, I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't even know what Twitter was back then. But I, you know, I did my research and Facebook and all that. And I was like, oh, it's available. So I bought the URL. I did this and that. And because I already had ThanosRules.com. So it was a, you know, I had the door open. So it was easy enough to do that. So then I needed, and it sort of happened at the same time, a co-host. Because I recorded my first episode by myself recording my reviews of basically indie comics. Real, raw indie comics. The kind you only find at small cons. I happened to be going, stopping by a toy store to get my son a Thor's hammer because I want to make sure he likes comic books whether he likes it or not. <laughs> well, wait and a minute. So so far it sounds like you've got maybe he just likes hammers, in which case you're in some kind of trouble, are you? Well, that's a good point. But this one's, you know, foam, so we should be okay for a little while. A little while. And uh, so I walk in and I ask the guy who comes up to me saying, do you have any of those little miniature Thor hammers? He brings me over He go, and he starts talking to me. That person is Andrew Love. So we talk and, I, and we spend and poor Heather and the baby are in the car in 110 degree heat. And I'm in here <laughs> geeking out with Andrew in the cool temperatures of Toys R Us, getting excited. And he shows me some of his artwork. And I, you know, um, I don't know, show him the case to my phone to prove how nerdy I am. And I basically break down and um, say we should do a podcast. We exchange information. It was like a nerd uh Dating, uh, speed dating. We weren't going to say that, but well, go ahead. That's fine. I mean, my <laughs> la- and then the icing on the cake was my last name was Joy and his last name is Love. So it was kind of ridiculous. It took a while for all that to get together. We eventually recorded uh, a couple episodes, but essentially lots and lots of money, which eventually piled up enough stuff in my office where I could find a name and I wasn't going to start the podcast until I had a name. And there you have it. Okay, so uh, question number two, and this is kind of a related issue. If you uh, looking across our our listeners, all six of them, I'm going to venture to say that like most people, with the with the rise of superhero movies just in the last couple of years, you know, everything's been leading up to the Avengers. But we've, you know, there's been a Batman, a Green Lantern, there's been uh, Spider Man, uh, Thor, Captain America, etc. So I think what this is doing in part, or what it did for me, was reminded me of being 10 years old and back when I used to read comics all the time I think much like happened to you life intervened and here it is uh <clears throat> years later and I'm I'm wanting you know so my question for you the expert is this if I wanted to get back into reading comics and I can't do the full body immersion what kind of recommendations would you have to people who saw these recent superhero movies remembered what their childhood was like and say, I want to get back in. What's my way into comics again as sure. an adult? Sure. So it sounds like from your perspective, you like you want to get back into superhero comics, which is a misnomer that all comics are superhero comics because many of them, I'd say the majority of them, especially from indie publishers are not superhero comics. 
if you want superhero comics, you're probably going to want to stick to the big two, Marvel and DC, because they are the, the, and, and image for that matter, but image is, you know, less superhero now than, um, you know, because Walking Dead, very popular comic book, not superhero comic book. And, but Marvel has, a whole bunch of superhero comics. In fact, you'd be hard pressed to find a non-superhero comic of, you know, you can obviously, but there you have, they have more superhero comics than not. DC is the same way. So last year, September timeframe, DC launched the new 52, which all the longtime readers were kind of upset with because here's a reboot and, uh, you know, they all complained. But if you listen to the, some, the people who wanted to get back into comics, like um, David Piero, the guy I interviewed uh, in episode 13 for uh, Vintango, the artist for Vintango, he wanted the same exact question, except he answered it himself and said, I'm going to start with the new 52 and, and you know start reading those books because at least I could start from somewhere. Now, for you, it's been a year now. The good news is a lot of those are being now collected into a trade paperback, so you don't have to go fishing for uh, issue one of you know Justice League if you want to read that book because you you could find it on eBay, but you're going to overpay for it likely just based on the fact you want to read it. Also, all, all those all that stuff is on digital and stuff, but I do not promote digital because I want to support uh, brick and mortar stores. But that's besides the point. So for you, well, uh, wait a second. Let me intervene there. I think that I think that's exactly the point because you cannot, as a as a novice, jump into comic books without a guide. And if it's just you and the internet looking for comic books in digital digital form, there is no spirit guide. And I think it seems to me like uh, like even on the Big Bang Theory, you have to walk into a comic book store and talk to the guy who knows something to get a recommendation. The same way that you know um, brick and mortar bookstores have value, because if you go in there and you say, "Give me a recommendation." I think I think this is a venue that that demands a brick and mortar store for just this reason because most people can't just call you up on the Skype and get an answer like I did. Well, the, the other thing is that um, the advent of shows like Big Bang Theory seem to have made it a lot more culturally uh, culturally palatable yep. to walk into that place if you're not a comic book geek. And I know I took Suzanne into, well, she's been a couple times now with me to our local comic book store, and she was really taken back by how just nice they were and how helpful they were and just, you know, going out of their way to try and understand what she's interested in and, and picking out the things that, that fit her. So I think you're absolutely right. Well, and I, and I think that, like, anything, anything that, that, I mean, we'll use the word hobby, but it's really not. Anything that you're passionate about, it's helpful if you're just reintroducing yourself to the to the to the genre, let's say, it's good to have a guide. You know, you can't say, "Well, I'd like to start drinking wine," without going to a wine shop. You, you know, you've got to have you've got to have somebody who knows the path that you want to take and can help you get there quickly and efficiently without you having to waste a lot of time on on distractions. And so, I think that I would be a big fan of a brick and mortar comic book store as opposed That's to digital. Absolutely, and I, I highly recommend you go to a local store, and if you need to find one, there are many resources online that are endorsed, and they, they sign up to say, hey, I'm on this website, and that's uh, comicshoplocator.com, I think. I was hoping to just throw your name around and, <laughs> yes. uh, and be treated be treated with deference, respect, and fear everywhere I go. There are three comic book stores that you could throw my name around, and they would know who I am, and they happen to be on the th- three corners of the United States, one in Buffalo, one in the Pacific Northwest, and one here in San Antonio. So, 
I'm, I've got, I'm trying to cover the bases, and I got, I'm, I'm gonna go for a pentagram, I think, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, back to evil, but, uh, so, well, if, if you're, if you're running for president, you've got the three corners you need, so. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm seeing Sajcast field trips in our future. Yeah, so comicshoplocator.com, you type in your, uh, zip code, you'll find your local comic book shop. They gotta be nice to you because they're trying to sell you stuff. I mean, sure. if, if, if anything else, it's not, the comic book shop guy from The Simpsons. It can't be anymore. But for if you don't have that option and you're listening to this and you're like, I want to buy something online, then start start with number ones and look at the whole series and say, how many issues does this series have? If it's like Fantastic Four and there's 600 books, you're gonna be like, am I supposed to start at 588? Which happens to be a bad issue to start with Fantastic <laughs> Four. But that's that's an inside joke. So and I just pulled that number randomly. That's funny. I'm sure so you did. Marvel Now is just starting up. And if you don't know what that is, you can go find a lot of information on that. But they're basically starting with issue number one for a whole bunch of new series. So Indestructible Hulk is coming out. If you if you want to read about the Hulk, Indestructible Hulk number one will be the way to go. Superior Spider-Man is coming out. Old uh, Amazing Spider-Man, which has gone on forever, issue 700 will be closing out that series very soon. Superior Spider-Man t- is the new book for that. So if you want a new Spider-Man story, that's the way to go. So you don't want to jump in in the middle of continuity. You may want, you know, where is the first appearance of? And it's usually in the middle of the run, and you're not going to know what's going on. Now, if you're a collector, you might want that for monetary reasons or collection reasons. But for story, really, most of the key issues have are really crap stories. They just happen to introduce Galactus is the, is the first appearance of Galactus. Were those books the best books ever? Absolutely not. Some of the best books are more recent and, you know, were, are collected in trades. Like one of the best books I've ever read, and it came from a recommendation from Mark, was Old Man Logan. It And it's a good story, period. It's just a book. And if you know who the characters are, like Wolverine and Hawkeye, it, yeah, it helps. But that's a good book, Period. Maybe it's not as good as like, uh, you know, novels and Moby, Moby Dick or something like that. But it's, if you're a comic book guy, it, it's probably better. <laughs> so, you know, it really depends. But trades are a perfect way to go because they collect a series of books. You know, it's, uh, there's some continuity there or small mini series. Like I would recommend one to four issue mini series. You can look them up. And you can go to places like comicvine.com, which is a perfect resource for all of that. And that's where I started out, where I learned most of my stuff. Very friendly folks over there. If you don't want superhero books or you're you're more interested in, well, how about other stories like Walking Dead? But Walking Dead now has 104 issues or something like that. Where do you start? All of that stuff's traded. But a lot of the smaller indie companies are coming out with, you know, come out with, you know, lower number stuff. Like recently... Manhattan Projects. It's a it's an excellent you know alternate history sort of um, book. It's right uh, up Stacy's alley, actually. Oh yes, really? Oh, okay. I would say <laughs> I agree. We reviewed last night on the Panel Pals podcast uh, Secret Life of Houdini, which is it's a it's a book. It'll be like different. It says it was sixty six pages or whatever. It comes out next uh, month. It was in this month's previews, which. If I say this month's previews, probably no one knows what that means, so I apologize. But it basically, it's going to be available very soon. It'll be six ninety nine. You can get it on Amazon if you want. But the uh, Secret Life of Houdini is basically a alternate history or a different way of telling a Houdini story. He had superhuman strength and he could escape from anything. He was sleight of hand. So you got little bits of stories like that, and I would definitely recommend 
you you will bite off more than you can chew if you just jump into a mainstream superhero book. Okay. Start small and work your way into it. Yeah, that uh, that is excellent advice, and that's the question you know I've been waiting to ask since I started listening to your podcast uh, because some of it is just over my head, and I need I need to I need some sort of foundation, and I think a lot of people who are in my situation. Uh, have you know who've discovered they like the Avengers movie and things like that? Um, we need a we need a gentle introduction, and I think that was perfect. And in the interest of time, because our listeners are um, notoriously uh, short on attention span, um, <laughs> well, uh, like the debates, we'll give you a we'll give you a thirty second answer <laughs> time. <laughs> and um, and uh, fortunately, no one is going to uh, suggest that you did anything with fundraisers or donors or binders of women. But here we go. Looking for just kind of a top, uh, not a top ten, but maybe a top three, um, your favorite superheroes, and and a brief why. Thanks. Um, all of the Fantastic Four because they're better as a unit, and I mean they they're cosmic. I'm a I'm a big cosmic guy. Silver Surfer, just because of what he sacrificed to not only become who he was and what he had to go through uh, through his his life as a character, and. Uh, superhero, um, I'd have to say Warlock, Adam Warlock, another one, another cosmic sort of character. Um, he had very interesting beginnings as being man-made, quite literally, and then had to protect the universe from Thanos and, you know, because of the power of the tools that were being used during the arcs that he was in, like the Infinity Gems and stuff like that. So a lot of people with all this responsibility, I guess. Okay. And you'll notice my answer didn't include anyone who was Daredevil or Spider-Man or Iron Man or Thor. Uh, well, Thor notwithstanding, but those I like those guys, but I like the cosmic stories better. But, I mean, they're all great characters. I mean, I, I find reasons to like them all. Okay. And since you just did Stacks of Comics 15 for a good cause... Uh, your favorite female superheroes? So Captain Marvel as she is now, or as that mantle is now, is Carol Danvers. And I'm learning so much more about Carol Danvers, who was Miss Marvel. And that story is excellent. I mean, like I said, in issue five, it all comes together. And, I mean, beautiful art. And I mean, that's part of this thing, too. If if it's drawn weird, you don't, you know, you might not like it. But that story and that art from that series probably puts her at the top of the list. As part of the Fantastic Four uh, Sue Richards, one of the most powerful women characters in the Marvel Universe, and that comes out in one of the FF issues that I read a long time ago, and she was debating with Dr. Doom, and he was going to do something, you know, bad. And she goes, how about I just create a um, a force field in your brain, and then you won't be able to do anything? I mean, it's that level of power that she has over anybody. So she to be on that list. And as far as one final female character, uh, another female superhero Female Scarlet Witch. Let's go with Scarlet Witch. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, next uh, question, uh, kind of these in the same uh, vein. Favorite supervillain? Most of the villains I like not, aren't necessarily bad all the time, or they're just cosmic forces. Uh, Galactus is on the list. Obviously, Thanos is on the list. And Doctor Doom. Okay. Best comic book movies and why? Avengers, because it was done right, Joss Whedon knew what he was doing and uh, collected the all of the, the work that was done ahead of ahead of, ahead of him. Even Hulk was brought into this, and that was before this whole thing was thought of or likely. So 
um, that had great direction and, and, and will go forward. Um, this recent Batman series, all three of those, it's one story. So I would put that on that list. I really like it. I'm not a Batman guy. I don't read any Batman books. I don't even pick buy any Batman books. He's got a huge following, but I, I, re, I did like the movies. So there's that. And then, or superhero movie, right? Um, well, any movie, I guess, that was based on a comic book. Well, I mean, you could go, I mean, 300. Right. Well, that's fine. I mean, it, it works. Yeah, I mean, that was a really good movie. It's one of the posters that's in our theater. Yeah, I would say I'll pick 300 because okay. it was based on a graphic novel. Sin City, too, at, yes. in, that, in that realm. Right. And you know I'm going to ask, but the worst comic book movies. So as much as I love The Silver Surfer, and I have this giant Silver Surfer from the movie itself, and I hadn't watched that movie since it came out in 2004 or six, whatever. I recently, within the past three months, it was on TV, and I watched it with my – actually, we were up visiting my parents, and I watched it, and we watched it, and I was embarrassed by it. And you're, talking, um, you're talking about the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, Four Rise of Silver two, Surfer. Rise of Silver Surfer. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I love the I love the characters, but the way if they just took out all the kooky crap that Reed Richards did with his stretching and dancing and all that, it would have been a better movie. And plus, the interpretation of Doctor Doom and his character and 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 all that was kind of weird. But the Silver Surfer, they got him. I mean, I liked how he was portrayed, but then they screwed it all up with Galactus in the end was a big fart cloud. So right. that was very disappointing. Uh, some n- more neutral. Then I didn't like it, but I wouldn't be on the best movies of all time. Uh, the Green Lantern movie that came out, I liked it for some reasons and didn't like it for others, but it definitely wouldn't make my favorite movies, but it, or good movies, but it did. So it's, it's tough, but, um. Well, and, and you know, almost I look at the Green Lantern movie as wasted potential. You know, they, yes. they had the budget, they had the special effects, they just, they screwed it up anyway. They snatched defeat from the jaws of victory with that one. <laughs> And, and on that theme, uh, and a Ryan Reynolds movie, uh, Wolverine um, Origins, or X-Men yeah. Origins Wolverine, because they portrayed Deadpool so wrong. Because they had him right before he got all mangled up and his mouth stitched shut, because Deadpool's the merc with the mouth, and Ryan Reynolds is perfect for that character. So they screw, really screwed that up. And, of course, there's the classically bad movies like Daredevil, which in Elektra – the first 80s or 90s Fantastic Four movie that never even made it to anything that you would be hard-pressed to find. So uh, there, there's all those kinds of uh, bad movies. Mm-hmm. But Not to mention Howard the Duck. Yeah, Howard the Duck. I, that, that's very, that's a, a lot of people don't even know that he is a Marvel character. Um, yeah. Marvel but, would probably like him to forget that movie, too. Yeah. But you can buy a Silver Surfer figurine, like a toy figurine with Donald Duck. Because he's a cosmic character, or not Donald Duck, uh, Howard the Duck. That would be especially, uh, especially rare. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a future Sajcast that is brought to us by copyright infringement and trademark goofs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Howard the Duck and Silver Surfer in one package. Like Howard the Duck is riding the surfboard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Next. Uh, next question. Because our Saj- one of the staples of our Sajcast is food porn, and so comic book food porn. Do these guys ever eat? And is it ever any good? Is it a, is it a feature in any comic book literature where the superheroes or supervillains are eating or drinking anything other than say I don't know the blood of their enemies? Swarma or shawarma or whatever the heck it is. At the <laughs> oh, end of but that just happened last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, in general, like if you look at books that are uh, b- recent books, like the Hawkeye book that's out by Matt Fraction, it's got three year three issues out now. The end of the first issue. 
he was barbecuing uh, for his apartment complex in New York City. But that's an off-the-wall book right. because it's Hawkeye when he's not an Avenger. It's him helping his fellow man and, and you know, not – he didn't fling one arrow and no one called him Hawkeye. They called him Clint through the whole book. So in that issue, there was eating and it was barbecue or hamburgers or something like that on the top of his New York uh, apartment complex. But I'd have to say it's pretty few and far between. Some of them don't even need sustenance. So would Superman need to eat, right? I recently read Monolith, um, hardcover by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, drawn by Phil Winslade, where he's a um, golem in the uh, traditional sense, made of clay and used blood to bring him to life. And the girl... The woman who brought him or helped bring him into existence brought him food. And then the rabbi slapped it away and said, he doesn't need to eat. So, I mean, there's a point there, too. Some of them don't need to eat. Silver Surfer, where would it go? (laughs) Well, and it seems like, you know, it's part of the mythos of being a superhero that you are giving something up to have these powers and to do service for all mankind. And I think we're going to say that one of those things is probably food and uh, something that most people don't think about. Okay, next question. Uh, only because you've mentioned it several times, uh, for the uninitiated, what is a con? Ah, it's a con- it's short for convention. So when you see Comic Con, it's a comic convention. Um, you know, we're used to going to techie type conventions, and it's the same thing except way cooler content, in my opinion. So, like Buffalo Comic Con, and it's interesting because they they name them different. Like Comic Con in San Diego is just known as Comic-Con because it's the Comic-Con. And it's spelled C-O-M-I-C-C-O-N, two separate words. Buffalo Comic-Con was C-O-M-I-C-O-N. So it's it's interesting how that works, but it doesn't really matter. It's the same thing. So the smaller ones, it's basically a bunch of vendors who are selling their stuff. It's a bunch of artists that are selling their soul. And it's a bunch of uh, con-goers who are dressed up like their favorite characters as slutty as they can be or as the, the clothes is way too tight for their body, um, going and celebrating something that they enjoy. Well, and let's not forget, uh, uh, based on your recent experience, there appear to also be podcasters at these things. That's a good point. It's the, kind of a new advent. And, you know, for me, going to this Austin convention, I signed up and said, I want to be an artist, Allie. I have a podcast. They came back to me and said, okay, give me $300. I was like, all right, here's my money. And for a penny. And I, I heard back from them the next day. Unfortunately, I was driving and not at my computer where I can, I feel secure and looking things up. <laughs> he calls and leaves a message and then I, which is another problem. I couldn't talk to him personally. He goes, we're, uh, you can't, uh, we don't have podcasters in Artist Alley. And I'm getting angry because uh, I gave you all this information up front and you took my money. So I was getting real upset. But he goes, you're more s- small press. I go, I don't care what you classify me as. He goes, well, that's $600. I go, <laughs> um, well, I don't make money from this. In fact, I lose money. Let's call it I spend money <laughs> right. um, to do this. So I can't, I'm not going to fork out 300 more dollars, you know, to just to show up. I mean, that's ridiculous, especially – he goes, but you get four passes. I'm like, I'm one guy. So it, it <laughs> didn't make sense. So, He's not helping you at all. No. He called back and said, we'll put you in Artist Alley. So I'm in Artist Alley, birth, uh, booth 2422, I think, at the Austin Con, and I'm immersed in, with all these artists, which is kind of cool. But, yeah, po- podcasters are kind of a weird 
group and they're called fan groups at this thing and I'm not going to be sitting with them which is probably good because a whole bunch of podcasters talking at one time probably not the best case yeah. but like now um, yeah but I'm I'm looking forward to it I do I will be promoting Zombie Guy there because I have because Mark was so nice to create the um Zombie Guy cover and I have uh little uh, advertisements for Stacks of Comics and Zombie Guy and I pitched that I will also be not selling but giving away stuff for Ventango he's mailed me a sort of a care package of his stuff and i will be basically handing out stuff to increase awareness of ventango and he's also put together a prize pack which i will be running a you like us both on facebook and twitter and i'll be randomly selecting people and you come back the last day of the con and you'll get this prize pack sort of thing i'll also be advertising for heroes of fantasies just this is all on my own it's not has i'm not getting paid or doing anything for this as you know unless mark you're sending me money <laughs> We've reached the end of our Saj fiscal year. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to do so much more. Plus, I am trying my hand at sketches like the one I did today. And if I can mass produce those, I will give them away gladly and <laughs> call myself an artist. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, final question, uh, prevailing upon your insider's knowledge of the industry. But I am getting a sense that a lot of the comic book turned mass entertainment is often affected by legal wrangling behind the scenes. You know, like, why did we have a new Spider-Man? And and just some of the thing, you know, do, do certain storylines, like the Captain Marvel issue we opened with, how much of this stuff is is handled by lawyers and in the courts? And, you know, you can't do a new issue of Captain Marvel because we've already got one and you're infringing on our trademark and that kind of thing. I, I think a lot of the, the direction of things, especially in the movie industry. So Sony owns Spider-Man. Fox owns X-Men and uh, Disney owns the Avengers and that sort and Thor and Iron Man and stuff like that. So you won't see a crossover of Spider-Man and the Avengers, which you should because everyone's an Avenger, really. So why wouldn't Spider-Man be in it? Because the the companies don't cross collaborate, obviously. So one good thing it's done is Avengers set the bar real high. So now people are expecting that quality of movie, not like Spider-Man 3. Right? right. So if if uh, Sony cranks out another crappy Spider-Man movie, then no one will go to see it, and then they won't be they won't have money to create a new one. Then their time will lapse on their the rights to that character, and then by default Disney will get the character back, sort of thing. Or That's, or Disney can go buy it. I mean, they shelled well, out yeah yeah they shelled out what 115 million dollars for the Avengers Iron Man package. So these things can probably be bought if they're going nowhere. Right. Exactly. And like Fantastic Four, it's a Fox property. Would it be better if Disney took a hold of it? Probably. Would would X-Men be better? Probably. But we're going to just get what we get sort of thing. Okay. And lots of books are coming out now, uh, the secret untold tales of Marvel, like one came out a couple weeks ago, and it, it divulges the, hey, hey, you didn't know Marvel was a huge company just like other huge companies, and they have, they've done things wrong? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's that kind of story. So we what we forget is these are corporations, and we we all know corporations uh, do things for money and just because this corporation cranks out creative works doesn't mean they're above the ability to do weird things and you get a lot of the creators being upset like Greg Rucka recently came out and against or Rob Liefeld quitting DC the, these are uh, disgruntled employees rightfully so because they're right or not i mean that's debatable but their stuff is not their own, and they don't like that. But as people who work for 
company, tech companies, our stuff is not our own either, right? So, I mean, it's just a little different. Like, do I care that the bit of PowerShell that I wrote today is not owned by me? No. If I wrote uh, Spider-Man number 655 and I don't own that, is that troublesome? Probably more than my PowerShell. So. Right, and this, and this is not a new story in the comic book world because uh, I recall that there was some kerfuffle over the rights to Superman and and whether the the descendants of the original creators were getting paid for shows like Smallville and the movie franchise. Right. I mean, this is not new at all. I mean, I mean, you look at you could say Stan Lee and half the room will hate you and half the room will love you. It's the same reasons. The Jack Kirby stuff. I mean, it it's all it's all a legal mess because no one knows if it's going to be popular. And then once it is, everybody wants the rights to it. Sure. OK. All right. Well, good. Again, for the six listeners who listen regularly, and I guess there's only five now since you're on the show, um, <laughs> the, uh, the next part of our Sajcast is food porn. Cue the food porn theme. <laughs> In case you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and so, and since this is a Sajcast of firsts, since we have our first co, co-host, um, this week in Food Porn, we have a dispute. A disagreement, if you will. <gasps> uh, difference of opinion. And so not to say that you're here and in some sort of umpire or referee <laughs> capacity, we're going to tell you what happened. And because you're more mature than we are, we might leave it to you to give us some guidance uh, regarding our dispute uh, because it centers around something that is near and dear to our, our stomachs anyway, and that's Mexican food. And if you've listened to all the Sajcasts, as I have instructed time and time again, um, you know that we have a, a favorite Mexican restaurant that is nearby, and it's not just because it's close to my house, called Montoya's. And recently, in the same neighborhood, within half a mile, a new Mexican restaurant reared its ugly head. And so now, of course, being, being um, uh, steeped in our craft and being um, true priests of the religion, we felt like we should go try this place out and test their metal, as it were. Well, yeah, and as the story goes, so the new place is called Cancun, and apparently it's, uh, I don't want to say a chain, but it, there's more than one of them. It's not a national chain or anything, but it's probably a family thing around here. And uh, I ended up over there with Suzanne. I don't even remember when. It was like midweek, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And we, uh, Suzanne and I really enjoyed ourselves. We had a, a terrific time while we were there. We thought the food was outstanding, and I remember I texted you at the time to say, you know, this place was awesome, and you got to check it out because it's it's actually even closer to your house if that's conceivable. Yeah. Well, because because people who know me and food porn, it's it's yeah, there's the food is is a necessary component, but there is also can I just kind of roll down the hill and end up at this place, and so and so you knew exactly what would get my attention. It's closer <laughs> to my house. And and also, if if such a thing can be said, your text came through almost as a chortle, as a as a ha. <laughs> I'm at Cancun, the new Mexican place. I think I'm here first. Anyway, you should try it. It's fantastic. So, I did. Um, and I didn't like it at all. And so, uh, if you've been listening. Most of the time, we tend to agree on food porn, or yes. at least when you describe to me a restaurant on the Pacific Northwest where you have to navigate the menu by flashlight, but it results <laughs> in a really good steak, I say, okay, 
if I if, if we happen to be there at the same time, I would voluntarily go in and eat at this place, and I'll leave it up to you to beat the snot out of Wilford Brimley and Abe Begley Jr. So in this case, I said, I'll give it a whirl. I gave it a whirl, and I didn't like it. And, and so then it was incumbent upon me to explain why I didn't like it in a way that has intellectual merit, that I can say, well, um, I tried this staple of Mexican restaurants and found it to be not as good. And so our first question for the co-co-host and not referee is this. If you were going into a Mexican restaurant, what dish would you be likely to order as a, if they can't do this well, then they suck? Fajitas. Okay. All right, good. So, um, so if you're keeping score, that is not a point in my favor because, <laughs> because I screwed up the fajita experiment in a big way. They have a weird fajita on the menu. Yes, yeah, so you have to describe the. I didn't have it, but uh, in fact, I didn't even notice it on the menu until I went back after you talked about it. Okay. It's a fajita that they make and they deposit the fajita contents in a hollowed out pineapple. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, like in Acapulco. <laughs> like in, like in Cancun. But I digress. So, you know, so my first thought was, oh, well, you know, the introduction of fruit into a fajita isn't entirely bad. Mm. But, but <laughs> the problem was, it wasn't fruit in a fajita. It was fajita in yeah, a fruit. fruit. <laughs> and so, the problem was that the pineapple was everywhere in this fajita. And so you're plowing your way through it, and everything tastes like pineapple. And so you're like, yeah. well, you know, put this in a blender and smooth it up for me, because <laughs> that's the only way to eat this monstrosity. So that was one one problem. The second thing is, not having had your advice on this, Charles, I I thought that the staple of a Mexican restaurant might just be a hard-shell taco. To think that it's like, you know, if you watch the Food Network, they say, if you're any kind of chef, you can make an excellent scrambled egg. You can You can whip up an omelet. That is to die for. If you can do that, then you're a real chef. And so I thought maybe a taco was the way to go. And their taco was essentially tasteless. The meat wasn't seasoned and it just wasn't good. And then the, the final uh, kick in the pants was they only had one kind of salsa that they brought by default. Now, I'm sure I could have asked for all, all kinds of things. Um, but they just brought out their standard house salsa and that was it. And it wasn't remarkable. And so... These three things combined, uh, and you cannot overlook my transgression of the pineapple. Uh, <laughs> this is what caused me to think that this restaurant was not as good. And because well, you didn't like their queso either, or because I didn't have it. Oh, their queso did. Well, one of the staples at Montoya's is the queso con chorizo, and we even asked our waiter, "Do you guys have a queso con chorizo?" And he said, "No, it's chili con queso." And he brought me a bowl of hot white cheese with no chili in it. I was like, "Well, this is nothing like." This is Chili Sands, or yeah, Queso Sands Chili. Right, and this guy was not an English major, and so he didn't really appreciate my critique. Um, and so I'm such a devotee of food porn and, and intellectual rigor that, uh, <laughs> why is everyone laughing? No more Coco hosts. Um, the next night I went to Montoya's because I said, well, you know, if Mark thinks the Cancun is good and I didn't like it, maybe it's me. So I went to Montoya's for a comparison and... I ordered a taco. I was I was going to do the same exact thing. I was going to order a taco and taste it, and their taco I thought was better. And I had to ask the guy at Montoya, who is not a small man, but we're so, we're there so often that he knows me. I say, so do you have any kind of fajita 
They might be ensconced, as it were, in a hollowed-out <laughs> tropical fruit, for which I was almost the first person to be forcibly ejected from Montoya's. And so my experiment went way off the rails right there, and I gave up. But essentially, the core of the dispute is, if you're listening uh, religiously to the podcast, oh my God, how can this happen? How can they possibly disagree about Mexican food, which is, you know, one of their staples? Well, yeah, so one, I mean, one interesting thing about that is we weren't there at the same time. That's true. So we have to wonder, you know, did I have a better experience than you? Because they haven't been open very long, you right. know. It's not, I mean, I didn't catch the soft open or anything, but it was, it, it hadn't been open for more than a week or so when I got there. So we, we wonder, oh yeah, if we were there at the same time and you passed me that taco and I went, oh my god, this is bland. You know, that, that's a different experience than two separate events and, and we have to. And you're too correlate. much of a, you're too much of a gentleman and a scholar to say this out loud, but you would have probably prevented me from ordering the pineapple fajita. <laughs> I would have raised an eyebrow. <laughs> Which speaks volumes, and so I would have known exactly what you meant. And it would have at least given me the three seconds it would have taken to go, what am I thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things I thought was I'm, they had the best rice that I could remember eating since I've been to India. I mean, it was rice I really enjoyed. Now, I don't know if it might be that, you know, you and Laura don't enjoy the same sort of rice because it was very fluffy. It wasn't, you know, uh, Mexican rice is sometimes kind of sopped in. Uh, whatever gravy they put on it, and, yeah. And, and this was just like, you know, an Uncle Ben's commercial. <laughs> it's just a very fluffy rice. So, yeah, there, there's a, there's an interesting. Are we just having a difference of opinion, or did we have different experiences? And uh, yeah, I mean, so I was going to ask Charles what what he thought of salsa being the because um, if if anyone asked me what was the you know that litmus test to me it's kind of the salsa, and yeah, for for sure, but. Uh, yeah, salsa, first and foremost, because you sit down, you likely have chips, you have yeah. salsa, maybe even queso or guac. If you mess up queso, guac, or salsa, you should leave. You should <laughs> uh, fajitas is another thing. If you can't get fajitas right as far as an entree, then you know, all hope is lost, likely. And I'm not an exotic Mexican food eater. I'm not going to eat the gross crickets and stuff that you do. So I, you know, I stick to the same things. And and, and I haven't had Mexican food in a long time because we haven't gone out to eat in quite a while here. But when we do, we have the place we go here is Ch- Chewy's in, in San Antonio or Austin. You go to Chewy's. And the other thing they have besides salsa, which is amazing, one of the single most reasons to go to Chewy's is their jalapeno ranch dip, which you gobble down like it, it never existed before or after the time you're going to be there. So... Yes, the dipping uh, aspects of a Mexican or Tex-Mex restaurant are key to the the success of you know people liking it. I think. So your jalapeno ranch intrigues us. Is this is this just a bowl of ranch ranchous dressing that's hot and you get chips to go with that, or? I can't explain what it's made out of specifically, but when they bring you the chips, sometimes if the waiter and waitress are in the know, they will just bring it. Because everyone wants it and everyone asks for it, so save your time <laughs> and trips to the kitchen. Sometimes you ask for it, but it's either creamy jalapeno or jalapeno ranch is what we say, you know, for them to bring it to us. But it is essentially a ranch type dressing that has uh, a spice to it, but there's also chunks of jalapeno in it, I believe, too. So that would make sense. Okay. And yeah, it is delicious. Just, think, just thinking back to, I will say Cancun's salsa was okay. It wasn't anything to brag about. Although in the Midwest, it's hard to find salsa to brag about, right. to be fair. And uh, and to Montoya's credit, they bring three salsas. 
And I, I think every time we've been there together, we basically turn the three salsas into one salsa because there's a pico de gallo, just chunky tomatoes. There's a mild sauce, which is too mild. And then there's a hot sauce, which is a little too hot. And right. so like the three bears, <laughs> we just mix it all. Well, and, and we, you know, to be clear, we do that mostly when we go by ourselves. When, when, when the women go with us, they are flat out horrified. Well, in many ways. I mean, let's be, I mean, come on. They're it's not hor- just the salsa. Not just the salsa. They're horrified at many things that we, we consume in restaurants, but the, the, religious-like ceremony of taking the three salsas and mixing them together is something that well, not just the women that we're with, but people at other tables nearby are watching this going, what are they doing? <laughs> but the result is good. We're fixing it. <laughs> and, and really what we want is we want the people of Montoya to just make it that way for us to begin with so that we don't have to do all the work. Yes. Yeah, so I guess we'll have to, we'll have to uh, either agree to disagree or venture out a, at some later date. Well, and because of our dedication to intellectual rigor, which is a, apparently a new thing, um, we should actually intend to go. I think we should actually do the experiment. Um, go, we should both go back to Cancun. We should both go back to Montoya's in, in close proximity. You know, lunch and then dinner. <laughs> <laughs> lunch and then second lunch. <laughs> second lunch. And, um, and, and kind of redo this evaluation properly so that we do justice to our first ever Sajcast food porn dispute and, and given the authority that i have as mediator here i decree that you should do those things <laughs> so you're sending us a check is what you're saying <laughs> oh no <laughs> we'll take it out of the fee we paid you to be the That's right, ever yes. co-host of the podcast yeah because i was thinking about this earlier today um because i've eaten many meals with both of you um although not together and and there have been a number of them that that have come to mind that i remember enjoying thoroughly that i can't remember for the life of me what we ate and so I had to wonder, you know, was was I just having a, a really nice time with Suzanne and, and it was quiet and the music was right and you guys were sitting next to 16 tables of screaming children? Like, you know, I mean, there's so many things that could just you know, turn something the wrong way. Right. And this is not the first time that we wish for some kind of deep regression hypnotherapy <laughs> so that we could remember exactly what happens. Like, oh, yeah, it was the annoying couple at the next table that wouldn't shut up about, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, while I was choking down pineapple on top of pineapple inside pineapple. Taste it a pineapple. A bit. All right. All right. Well, I guess, um, does this bring us to the end? Right, unless, unless we're going to do a Sean Connery off. <laughs> well, no, I, and this is, there should be no inside jokes in the Sajcast. Um, go to the website and read Charles's comments on Sajcast number 12, in which he suggested that my voiceover be done by Daniel Craig. And, and mine by Sean Connery. And, uh, they were not available. So, Charles, it is. <laughs> and, and you, I was hoping you got the joke that I, the reason I did that, right? We think so. The silence you hear may be in a contraindicated. <laughs> so go ahead and tell us what you meant. Well, in the very beginning of that episode, you said that Mark's voice should be yeah. replaced by oh, right. Pierce Brosnan, right? Yes. Oh, Pierce Brosnan, that's right. I okay. said that actually, yeah. Right, yeah, or whoever said it, I can't remember. Yeah. But I wasn't going to be so, um, pedestrian as to suggest exactly what you suggested so i took the theme a bit farther it was bond bondesque yeah you know and i i I had many different things before i hit submit um the (laughs) comments but um and people should know if they're going to submit comments as i did a proof of concept being possibly the first person ever to submit comments on with that methodology when you hit submit if you are not logged in it may get rid of your comment and then when you do it again, it 
still looks like it goes away, but it actually commits it to the whatever magical database it's there. So. And when you say logged in, that's uh, uh, Google? A Google account. You get to choose how you log in. Oh. And I hadn't logged in before I actually uh, submitted. So it said, would you like to sign in as? And I hit go, and it deleted what I had. Um, never to be seen again. And this, this <laughs> probably this may explain why we haven't got <laughs> Like, I post every week. Yes, so for 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 the five remaining Sodgecast listeners, you apparently have to be some kind of technical geniuses, or you must already have some kind of Google account that you can log in. Otherwise, you're just yelling into an empty phone. You can always tweet at the Sodgecast, and we'll put the comment up there for you. That's right. <laughs> you go. Yeah. So just don't be discouraged. Keep trying. It's stick-to-itiveness for the win. That's the way to go. I think we're going to have to have a stick-to-itiveness sponsor for one of our sidecasts <laughs> at this rate. It is our only superpower. Um, so that brings us to the end of Sidecast number thirteen with our co co-host Charles Joy at Thanos Rules of the Stacks of Comics or Fame. Yes. And uh, in keeping with that, this week's Sidecast has been sponsored by Superheroes. Makers of Saving the City at the Last Possible Minute. Disguises that don't really fool anyone. Co-co-hosts, I mean sidekicks. (laughs) And we're out of here.